Hey, this is John coming to you live from Acts Church. What's that? We're not live? Hey, this is John coming to you pre-recorded from Acts Church. I'm a kids teacher here at Acts, but today I've been given the great honor of doing a lesson with all of you, and I'm thrilled that you're here today. I hope today finds you healthy, happy, and surrounded with family. I have spent most of my life raising kids, teaching kids, mentoring kids. So I thought today I'd do a message about kids. So if you have kids, or if you're going to have kids, or you know somebody with kids, or you have grandkids, there's probably something here you're going to be able to use. Before I was an Axe Kids teacher, I was a scout leader for 20 years. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun to start out with a camping story, just to kind of get us headed in the direction that I wanted to go. Have any of you ever been crazy enough to tent camp in the winter? Well, scouts do it every year. It's called the Klondike Derby, which is basically just a sled dog race for scouts. Um, they get together and they build a sled, and it looks just like a dog sled, only scouts pull it. So they put a boy in the sled, and the basic idea is that he's injured and the other scouts have to pull him to safety. And they set up a regular course through a field, down through the woods and around, and it's super fun, and it's a real race. Along the way, they have to stop and maybe do fire-building skill, or they might have to do a cooking skill or a first-aid skill. And it, it's just loads of fun. The kids look forward to it all year long. But the race is the third most memorable part of the weekend. The second most memorable part is tent camping. Um, sleeping outdoors in the wintertime is, is quite a thing. The first time that Cameron and I did it, we froze. We were ill-prepared. Later on, we kind of figured out how to do it. Between Cameron and I, we would take seven sleeping bags. We would unzip a sleeping bag and put it down and then we'd put our two mummy bags in there, and then we had these fleece liner sleeping bags to go inside of each mummy bag, and then we'd get all inside that, and then we'd take two more sleeping bags and unzip them and put over us. So we were like a giant burrito of sleeping bags. And when you did that, you could sleep out at zero and be comfortable. I think I slept out before at three below and had a good night's sleep. So that's the second most memorable part. The, the most memorable thing that you take away from it is <clears throat> when you get in your tent at night, you have to change clothes. You know, all your clothes are like wet from rolling around in the snow and um, your long johns are sweated up, you know, and there's oils from your skin and all that and all that'll just make you freeze at night. So you have to totally change clothes. And you gotta remember, if it's zero outside the tent, it's zero inside the tent. And I've had times before, you know, where you take your hand out of your glove and you try to undo your zipper and your hand freezes and you can't even make your zipper go down, you know. And then, of course, you reach into your backpack and it's not like those clothes just came out of the dryer. You know, they're zero also. So you have to change all your clothes and put on new clothes. So that's quite an experience. Well, we had a Klondike one time we went to and it started out, um, it was an interesting one. So school was canceled that day because of an early morning snowstorm, you know, and it was going to be real cold. But we have this other scout leader, and he's one of these guys where, you know, like, firemen can't stay home, policemen can't stay home, 
Soldiers can't stay home. Boys are well trained. We've been training for months. We're going. So we went, and this is a district event where all these troops come together to stay. And we were the only ones that came on Friday night to camp. But we had a really good group of boys. They were well trained, you know. And we pulled up and stopped, and I was so proud. It was like clockwork. You know, the boys jumped out, and right away, one group of boys starts building a fire, and another group of boys starts fixing some food because you want to go to bed, you know, with a full belly warm. And another group of boys jump out and they start setting up everybody's tents, you know. And they did such a wonderful job that we had all this extra time. So the boys went out, you know, and they were playing tackle football or capture the flag or whatever boys do, you know. Well, at the end of the night, when it came time to, for everybody to turn in, we were running around doing tent checks. And I came to this one tent and this boy says, Mr. Graper, Tim's having trouble. So I check on Tim and sure enough, he's laying on top of his sleeping bag with all his wet clothes on. And I was like, Tim, what are you doing, man? You got to get changed, you know? And, and I don't know what happened. He just kind of hit an emotional wall or something. And he was like, I'll do it later. I don't feel like it, you know? And I'm like, no, Tim, you've got to change. And it took a while for me and the other scout leader to motivate him to do what he knew he had to do. So we went back and sat by the fire for a while, and later I went back and checked on him, and sure enough, he had changed all his clothes, and he was fast asleep in his sleeping bag. And that night, when I was in my own sleeping bag, all nice and warm and cuddly, I thought how important it is that as adults, we continually encourage and drop wisdom on kids, even great kids like Tim, you know, Tim's a really smart kid, a really good kid, you know, probably a straight-A student, well-trained, comes from a good family, good mom and good dad. But yet, when the time came, um, he didn't choose wisely. He tried to take the easy way out. And I tell you this whole story to remind you how important it is to continually encourage and direct your kids towards God. It says in Proverbs 22.6, Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. And what I really pick out of that that's so important is where it says, teach your children to choose the right path. You notice it doesn't say, let your children choose the right path. God puts the burden on us to teach our kids about the right path. Now, when it comes to teaching kids about God, I've got a couple pet peeves. And first, let me say, two things can be true at once. One, I can really like you, but two, I can be disappointed by something you may have said. Now, I don't know who has ever said this, so I'm not singling anybody out, but it really bugs me when people say something like, well, I tried to get her up for church, but she didn't want to come, and you know, she's got to decide on her own if she wants to come to church. What? Since when do we let kids decide what the best choice is for their future? I mean, since when are teenagers overly responsible or overly conscientious to make long-term choices? I mean, I think of myself. There probably was a time when I didn't want to take a bath, but my parents said, no, you stink. Get in the tub. And there may have been a time when I didn't want to brush my teeth. My parents said, no, you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed. 
I know for a fact there was a time when I hated going to the dentist, just hated it. But my parents made me for my own good. Now all that being said, how much more important is it a person's relationship with Jesus? Um, you even see that in adults. You think of you and I. We've got all these years of experience. We've got all this wisdom that we've gained. But yet, we can't be counted on to make wise choices all the time. I mean, just this week, what have we watched or what have we listened to that we shouldn't have? Just this week. What have we said that we knew we shouldn't have said? So if we've got all this wisdom and all these years of experience and we can't be counted on to make a wise choice, how can we expect our kids to make that wise choice when they're lacking all that? Now, there might be someone who's thinking, John, I hear what you're saying, but my parents made me go to church, and I hated it, and I never got anything out of it. Well, my response to that is, I'm sorry that was your experience. But I don't fault your parents for making you go to church. What I do fault them for is for not leaving the church. If you truly weren't getting anything out of the church, they should have took you somewhere where you could grow. You know the saying, a church alive is worth the drive? That's the deal. And, and that goes for Acts Church, too. I think we have a wonderful kids program. And we have a wonderful youth program. But if for some reason your kids just aren't getting it, if for some reason it's just not working, then you need to go. I mean, it's not about Acts Church. It's about the church. It's about your kids' relationship with God. So, back at the winter camp, the next day, Tim came to see me. And he said, Mr. Graper, I apologize for the way I acted last night. And I was like, Tim, you don't need to apologize, man. I said, you went through a tough time, but you pushed through it. I said, Tim, you have been given a great gift that most kids never get. You know, you were up against the wall physically and emotionally, but you pushed through it. Someday, when you're a parent and you're married and your car slips off an icy road into the ditch and your cell phone is dead, you know that your babies aren't going to freeze, that you're going to be able to keep them alive. You know you can keep your wife alive. This is a great thing that happened to you. It wasn't long after that that God made it really clear to me that when we give advice to kids, when we, when we talk to them about what's best for them, we need to be thinking about the adult version of the kid and not the child version of the kid. Because see, that's what happened with Tim. You know, after that campout was over with, he probably wasn't a better student, right? When he went back on Monday morning, probably was the same kid. But I guarantee you, when he's in his 20s and he's married, he's going to be a much better man because of the experience in that campout. And that brings me to my second pet peeve. And this is what I refer to as the too busy for God family. I don't know how many times someone has told me, oh, I'd really like it 
if he'd come to church with me and, and come to your class, but he goes camping every weekend with his dad. Or, you know, I'd really like it if she'd come to youth, you know, but we have practice on Wednesday night. Well, first, let me state, okay, I love camping. I was a scout leader for 20 years. And I love anything that gets a kid outside for exercise, out from in front of a computer screen. And I thoroughly understand the, the emotional and physical benefits of belonging to like band or any sports. But I want to read to you what it says in Ephesians 5, 3 through 9. It says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This is heaven and hell teaching. And I think it is so important that every child gets taught this. But sadly, I don't see most teachers or most coaches going over this. And that's why I think it's so important that we leave time in our kids' life for God. I'm not asking you to choose between good and bad. I mean, that's ridiculous. No one has their kids involved in bad activities. What I'm suggesting is that you choose between good and great. And here's how we can do it. So if you've got a son, <clears throat> I want you to just like pretend for a minute. Pretend he's in his early 20s, all right? Now let's close our eyes and let's picture the perfect wife for your son. So what's she like? Is she kind? Is she warm? Is she loving? Is she a great mom? Is she joyful to be around? Is she the kind of person that you so like that you'd like to take her on vacation with you? Or if you've got a daughter, let's pretend she's in her 20s, right? So what's your perfect man for your daughter? Is he hardworking? Is he funny? Is he a great dad for your grandkids? Is he honest? Is he joyful? Is he faithful? Well, I want you to know that those people exist. God has those people for our kids. But now it's our job to raise our kids up to be the kind of people that those people would be interested in. Um... And nothing, nothing, no activities outside the home that you can get your kid involved with will do more to develop your kids into these wonderful young adults that we're talking about. Nothing will do more than the relationship with Jesus and perhaps serving in a local church. There is a, an old story that goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about. Um, it's the... Uh, the story about the daughter who continually makes mistakes. And you may have heard it because it's old as the hills. So I'll just give you the really short condensed version. 
But in this story, there's a mom who dearly loves her daughter and prays for her every day. But for some reason, the daughter just continually makes poor choices. And we can plug in any poor choice we want in this story. You know, lying, stealing, cheating, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, whatever you feel would be poor choices. So as the story goes, the mom is now raising the baby because the daughter can't or won't. And one day the daughter comes home and she's like, Mom, Mom, I have the greatest news. I met the perfect man. And she goes on and on and on talking about how great this guy is and on and on and on. She, you know, he's a, he's a great Christian. You know, he believes in Jesus and he goes to church all the time. And she goes, and finally the mom's like, no, no, he's not. Because if he was all those things, he wouldn't be with you. It's kind of a sad story, but we've got the perfect opportunity right now to make sure that doesn't happen. We have got a sun standstill moment right now with this lockdown we're in. You know, we're finally having supper with our kids. We're finally not going 17 different directions at night. This is the perfect time to sprinkle in the little Bible stories, you know, or talk about God, or make it fun, you know. I mean, instead of talking about who got kicked off the island, talk about who got kicked out of Eden. <laughs> um, there's a saying that pastors have used for years. Whenever parents are asking about, you know, how do I tell my kids about God? How do I explain it? Or what activities should I get my kids involved with? And this saying is like this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think there's real wisdom in that. <clears throat> I can tell you a couple mentoring stories in the past where I tried to keep the main thing the main thing. I once had a kid <clears throat> in one of my Sunday school classes where um, we were doing a, a study on a story from the Bible. And I was surprised that he didn't know this story, being how long he had been going to church, you know, and his age and everything. So I asked him um, if he'd been reading the Bible. And he told me, no, he doesn't read the Bible, which was like a knife in the side, considering how much time we spend encouraging kids to read and, and, and providing them with Bibles. So I mentioned to him that I thought that that would be kind of disappointing for his parents when they find out that he doesn't read. And he said, ah, my mom won't care. She doesn't read the Bible either. You know, it's kind of a monkey see, monkey do world with kids. Sometimes I think the best way to encourage them to do something good is to first let them see us doing it. At another time, you know how some boys or some kids are a joy to be around because they're dependable and obedient and they always do the right thing? And then some boys are a joy to be around because they're a challenge. Well, this kid was definitely the latter. So much so that when we went on campouts, the other scout leaders would say, listen, we're going to take care of everybody else. He's yours. You just take care of him. Now, I love this kid to death, but he was a challenge, you know. We got along good, and he pretty much listened to me. But, you know, you couldn't leave him alone much or turn your back on him. I mean, sometimes 
you'd go to a camp out and you say, okay, now here's the rules, right? We're not going to go swimming in the river, right? And we're not going to start fires in the campground. You didn't bring any fireworks, right? I mean, he was a, he was a challenge, but, but just a joy, though. Well, anyhow, I haven't seen this kids in years and years and years. And just last week, he stopped to see me. And um, he had told me that he got out of the military, and he was in the reserves now. We had a nice conversation. And he said, John, I actually came to see you to show you something. And he said, do you remember that saying you always used to say to me? And of course, I couldn't remember. It had been years ago. And he lifts up his shirt, and he's got this huge tattoo starting here, wrapping all around his side. And in big letters, it says, never know when, better know where. So obviously, he had started a relationship with Jesus. And he told me that he had been witnessing to other soldiers and getting them to go to small groups. And some seed fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was a hundredfold. I hope everyone gets to experience that sometime. I used to spend a fair amount of time teaching kids life-saving skills. Um, teaching them to swim, teaching them to uh, rescue someone in the water or save themselves in the water. And every once in a while, a kid would say something like, I don't like swimming. Why do I have to learn this stuff? So usually what we would tell them is, okay, pretend that you and your best friend are down at the river fishing. Or you're just walking along the bank doing whatever kids do, you know, skipping stones, blowing fish up with M80s, whatever you're doing, right? And your best friend slips and falls in the water, and he can't swim. And he's beating and pounding on the water, gasping for air. And he's looking at you, hoping that you'll come help him. And you just have to stand there and watch your best friend drown because you don't know how to swim. I don't think that's something you want to live with. Generally, that would motivate a boy to see the value in learning to swim better and learning rescue skills. Parents, listen. Our kids are drowning in a sea of hypodermic needles, alcohol, and sex. It is so important that we teach our kids to swim. And every bit is important. Our kids have a whole circle of friends that we will never be able to reach. You and I will never be able to witness to. How can our kids save their best friends if we haven't taught our kids to swim. It is so important that we open the book, that we go to the pool and we teach our kids to swim. God, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to teach here today. Lord, I pray that people everywhere will appreciate the kids that they have and teach them to swim. I call blessing down on all children everywhere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.